Welcome back, baseball fans. Episode 68 of Rounding Third, the baseball podcast. It is Sunday, October 30th. We have seen two games in this World Series matchup between the Phillies and the Astros. And right now we have a 1-1 split series on the travel day. So we're going to unpack those games, talk about what we expect to see going forward, and uh, highlight what I think has been a great World Series so far. Uh, roll the intro. Today, I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. seen two games out of it we saw Houston kind of use their home field thus far uh one one split what's your initial gut reaction I think the Phillies did a good job in these first two games you know I I think that game one was a classic and we'll go into each game but you know if you said Philly was going to come out of Houston splitting the series one one I would say it was a success for sure um the pitching was questionable. You know, Wheeler struggled for kind of the first time this whole postseason. He's been pretty much unhittable up to this point. Nola, too, pitched okay. I mean, he gave up five earned through three, but he ended up pitching a solid outing. Um, and, you know, it, I, I think it's good for the Phillies. And with the 2-3-2 two, two format of the World Series, the Phillies, again, have a chance to win three straight at home and win the World Series, um, where they've been pretty much unbeatable at home this postseason, So I think it was a successful trip to Houston for Philadelphia. Um, but the Astros are a really good team and they're going to need to stay on them if they want a chance to win the series. Cause the Astros played very well yesterday and got big performances from guys who have been struggling recently. Yeah. I love that synopsis, Max. I mean, anytime you're a road team, you're really just looking for a split, but especially when you're a six seed facing a one seed, a team that no one even saw, in this position versus a team that was favored to be here. You need that split. And again, they have been citizens bank ballpark has been absolutely insane. Looks like one of the toughest ballparks to play at this postseason. And if you just don't lose at home, you win a world series. If that's the hand you're dealt, especially think about this Phillies team, the day that Joe Girardi was fired there, you know, what, what was it? 12 games under 500 or something. And you're like, this season's a wash almost. If you would have told them you would be in a position four months later to just win in front of your fans and you win a World Series, that's a sweet deal. Um, so I think Philly, definitely the winner of this trip in Houston. Yeah, for sure. And like if you think about the, the Braves series, kind of similar thing happened, right? They were able to go home and take it down. The, the Philly fans are absolutely crazy and the Phillies have been able to, you know, lead off of that energy throughout this whole postseason thus far. Now, three games in Philly. It's going to be interesting. So, you know, say Phillies win two out of three. That would put the series at 3-2 heading back to Houston. That's good situation for Philadelphia, right? But it's still scary having to go back to Houston with a postseason experienced team for a game six and seven facing Verlander, which we'll talk about Verlander's performance in the postseason, um, and Framber Valdez, who was great. 
so you know it's it's going to be a tricky series i think there's I've really enjoyed both the games so far. I think it could still go either way. Lots of storylines, lots of really exciting players. Um, and I've really enjoyed it so far. Yeah, and I mean, I think back to what we said, Max, when we ended our preview episode. And really all we asked for was a great series. And I, I think it's definitely lived up to the hype. I mean, Friday night's game was a classic all-time great game and we'll we'll really get into the play-by-play on that um obviously concluded extra inning game 10th inning jt real muto hits the go-ahead homer the top of the inning and they shut it down electric game and yesterday's game was also you know a back and forth i would say neither team looked dead on the ropes um what's been crazy to me about the the two games so far is that it's been all offense and especially when you had wheeler and nola going uh, versus Valdez and Verlander. I mean, that should be just a pitching clinical, and it's been exactly the opposite. It's been all about, you know, the offense and what they've been able to do at the plate for both teams. Yeah, you know, I, I think it, at least beginning to start looking at game one, you know, through the first three innings, it really felt like it was going to be kind of this pitching masterclass from Verlander. I mean, through the first three innings of game one, Justin Verlander was perfect, and the Astros were up 5-0. And it just felt like, wow, I mean, the Astros are firing on all cylinders. Verlander is unhittable. Kyle Tucker has two bombs. Uh, it just looks like this is going to be an, an easy Astros game one win. They're up 5-0. Um, and then immediately everything turned around. Uh, I mean, we can go into everything that happened. But two innings later, it's 5-5. Goes in extras and JT hits the tiebreaker. Just It was just crazy. You know, like the, it's, it felt like the whole storyline or at least how I was thinking about this game in the series shifted after that third inning because it looked like Verlander was going to be dominant and the offense of Houston was running I mean Kyle Tucker just golfed two shots in the right field just bombs and it looked like they were just rolling 5-0 no base runners for Philly and then it all changed what was your impression because up to that point in the game when I'm watching Verlander go perfect and, you know, Houston is just rolling. I'll tell you, you know, actually, I want to tell you my reaction. But Max, what did you think? I mean, you see Houston in this position looks like they are the best team on earth five minutes in. Yeah, I thought it was over. Um, I'm going to be honest. I mean, I know it was only three innings in, but Verlander just looked really good. Um, and it looked like Philly was struggling to get the offense going. He just burned through. The, the the you know the top of those lineups and even the second time through the top into the fourth inning he got through some of those those guys um and it, and it wasn't until Castellanos and Bohm got the RBIs to get the scoring going in the fourth so I mean Verlander cooked through you know Schwarber Hoskins Real Muto Harper and then the second time around Schwarber flied out Hoskins got a single Real Muto lined out Harper singled and then Castellanos and Bohm get the RBIs um but, yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, I really thought it was over there. I thought it was going to be one of Houston. I kind of just bookmarked it in. I mean, not much ha- – you know, not many times a team comes back from 5-0 on the road in the World Series. I actually believe this was the first five-run comeback or second. Like, What's I know that? they were showing showing the stats. So, it was a – one. I'll tell you, uh, immediately my position, I was like – because I thought of Kyle Tucker had all these comments. We're trying to get it done in four. I saw some jokes on Twitter that were like, he must have a beach vacation, like the day after game four set up. 
So seeing him come out that powerful, and I think he's so underrated. I'll get into that. But I, I have honestly put a wrap, a bow on the entire series. Four innings in, four innings in I'm like, uh-oh, I think Houston has them outclassed and is just going to beat them mercilessly. And then credit to Philly. They, had, they did what they have done all postseason, what they did in the uh, tail end of the season, and they just battled back, found a way to win an instant classic, crazy comeback and that's a huge momentum shifter you know you're down 5-0 you're you know being no hit um turn it around then you get a win on the road a pivotal game one win um and I will say for Houston they did win that second game which is critical uh to kind of control that momentum swing because if Philly would have come back in that you know won that in extras and then won game two going back to Philly needing two out of three that that would have been uh, light years different. Yeah, I like what you said about the momentum because, you know, if Houston wins that game, we're talking about Verlander finally showing up in the World Series, dominant performance, how good is Kyle Tucker? You know, but now we kind of forget about Kyle Tucker's two home runs. We forget about Verlander's perfect three innings because he ended up not pitching very well. He gave up five earned through five innings and really kind of blew up in the fourth and fifth inning. And it's interesting, you know, I, I think before we talked about how one of Houston's strengths was not striking out, putting the ball in play. And Phillies was just the long ball. You know, they hit a ton of home runs with Schwarber and Harper and even Hoskins and Real Muto have been all fire. But in that game one, it was Kyle Tucker hits two home runs. And the only home run from the Philly side was the extra inning one by JT. The other the other um, runs were, I, I think, two singles and then a single and then a double scored one. It was just putting the ball in play and getting runs or getting hits when they needed to, uh, which is kind of a dichotomy to how both of these teams have performed up to this point in the season and in the postseason. Yeah, it was, you know, something that you don't expect Philly to do and that deep part of the lineup. I mean, it was awesome seeing Nick Castellanos really get involved um, and leave his fingerprints all over that game. Um, For me, I almost want to unpack Verlander a little bit because obviously my favorite baseball player active in the league, Clayton Kershaw. The number one knock you hear about Clayton Kershaw is his inability in the postseason, which is patently untrue if you discount the games where Houston was proven, proven to be cheating, not speculative, proven to be cheating. His ERA jumps to like a three, like a three six. So not great, but not talking about Verlander in the postseason, but more particularly in the World Series, is atrocious. Um, and it looks like he had the monkey off his back. And then before you knew it, collapsed five earned runs. I think his ERA now, I believe his World Series career ERA is a 6.07 at this point, which is crazy. And especially coming off this season. Again, this is a pitcher I didn't give enough respect to preseason. You had him as your Cy Young pick. And I think that hits. I think uh, undoubtedly that hits. He put together a masterclass, maybe the best season in a no doubt you know, first ballot Hall of Famer career, and then still in the World Series, the woes woes are there. Significantly more underperforming in the postseason than Kershaw. Just want to put that out there. <laughs> yeah, I think I think the Kershaw hates just because he always gives up the the home run and the big spot. Um, but no, I yeah, I think Verlander is a huge storyline here, and I, I like Verlander a lot. You know, I was rooting for him when he was perfect through three. I was kind of bummed when Hoskins broke it up in the fourth. Um, but yeah, he's just, 
I don't know what it is because he's a Hall of Fame pitcher. He's won he's the Triple great. Crown. He's in, he's won the MVP. He's one of the greatest pitchers of all time. But somehow he just can't put together a good outing in the World Series. You know, I read something on Twitter and I did not fact check this at all. But it said if Madison Bumgarner gave up 23 straight home runs in the World Series, he would still have a lower ERA than uh, Verlander in the World Series. I don't know if that's true. Obviously, Mad Bums has pitched well in the World Series before, but well, I just thought that was funny. Just on, on that level, it's kind of interesting because their careers are almost the exact opposite. Where you have Verlander is a no-doubt Hall of Famer because just how incredible he's been across the span of his career but a huge blemish in the postseason and World Series, whereas Mad Bum's career has been, you know, the totality of his regular season career has been, you know, uh, slightly above average. You know, he's a good pitcher, but not much. But in the postseason, he is one of the greatest postseason pitchers there's ever been and has maybe an outside chance looking in at a Hall of Fame uh, bid just for winning three World Series and being a major, major factor on the mound there. Um, so interesting, those two guys. Yeah. Another things, a couple of things I want to call out here. Um, you know, for a while we've talked about the Phillies defense and maybe lackluster defense. Uh, you know, they've got big hitters all around. Schwarber's not a great defender. Hoskins isn't a great defender at first. Castellanos isn't great. But they stepped up huge. I mean, Castellanos' play with two outs in the bottom of the ninth tie game comes in sliding. Uh, and right before this, they were playing a little deep, and I think it was Schwarber who told uh, Marsh and Castellanos to take a couple steps in. And Castellanos gets a great jump and makes an incredible, pretty much, you know, game-saving play there. At least it really changes the course of the game. Um, that was awesome to see. I really loved uh, – I mean, yeah, it's a game-saving play. Altuve stole second, so he's on second. If it drops, they win the game right there, and just an amazing he, You play. send him. You, yeah, you, no matter oh, what, yeah. you send Altuve in that moment. I think he scores. He's a quick little guy. Um, incredible catch. Just And I love the kind of the swag on it. He does the slide. He's on the ground. Um, huge catch there, um, obviously, especially the fact that the next inning, JT pits him ahead, and then they close out the game. Um, so, yeah, I'm glad you called that out. Other last thing I want to call, call out from game one um, before we move into game two is Kyle Tucker, who I think everyone knows he's good, but he may be one of the more underrated players in the entire MLB. I think he gets overshadowed. Again, some of the guys that have been there longer, Altuve, Bregman, you know, and then Jordan overshadows him as the best hitter on the team. Kyle Tucker is incredible. He can hit for contact. He can crush for power great fielder you Five know he, player he really is i mean he is just a great player across the board um and that's what's terrifying about this houston team they just print out incredible players look at jeremy pena again and we'll talk about him fingerprints all over game two it's just houston every it's impossible every night they have different players contributing and getting it done but kyle tucker i think is criminally underrated and i'm saying that as someone who hates the Astros, but you just have to tip the cap and respect how good he's been compared to the level of Kyle. I mean, look, if Kyle Tucker did what he did on the Yankees, it's all you would hear about four days a week. That's, that is just a reality. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. Kyle Tucker is really amazing. I mean, he clearly hits for power, hits for average. He's only 25 years old. Um, he's a 
I would say a gold glove caliber right fielder. We'll see if he ever gets one, but he's made some great plays out there. He's got a really, really good arm. Uh, he's just really got it all going. And, and yeah, this team is just loaded with guys. I feel like the Astros always have these underrated guys just because they're overshadowed by the likes of Carlos Correa in the past, Jose Altuve, Jordan. Um, I mean, think this team doesn't have Michael Brantley, who's been a really solid staple leadoff hitter for them for a while. Uh, they obviously lost Correa. They lost George Springer. And they're just able to turn these new guys like Pena, who won NLCS and ALCS MVP, and Tucker. And they're just, they've got a really good lineup. Um, so, yeah, I think a good call out there. One last thing, you know, on game one, there was that play at the end. So the bottom of the 10th was not short of action. Um, you know, at that point, the Astros are up one, or the, excuse me, the Phillies are up one. And, uh, you know, Astros need to score. Jordan strikes out swinging. Then Bregman, who's been really good this series, hits a double. Already scary. Tucker strikes out. Guriel walks. So it's first and second. A wild pitch by David Robertson puts it at second and third with two outs. And then there was that crazy play where Diaz leans in, clearly leans in to the pitch and gets hit by it. Great call by the ump to catch that right away. I mean, it was pretty obvious. I mean, it was the pitch before. It's funny. There was a pitch right before that was inside. And it looked like he was trying to do it kind of, but then got out of the way. And then the next pitch, he just clearly leans into it. He, Which I don't even extended, really get. He extended yeah. the elbow. It's like he did a lean and extension. Like he literally reached. And just on that point, that's something we hardly see called at the major league level. I'm actually on the um, Spanish broadcast. You could pick up what the Mike with or what the yeah. umpire was saying. And he literally said, you leaned into the fucking ball. That was a quote. Yeah. But immediately calls him back. Great call in a huge spot. I think that would have been so gross to load the bases with something like that. So tip of the cap to the ump, keeping everything above board there. Yeah, I see. The thing is, I also don't like it, really. You know, I, I, I like the call, but I don't get why Diaz is trying to do that. Like, he's pinch hitting. The winning runs on on second. Putting you on first doesn't really do anything other than give Chas McCormick a chance at it, which he's been playing well. So... I guess, but you're 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 pinch hitting in this spot. You need to come in and try to drive the runs in, not put a useless run on first base. The I don't only, know, it just felt like pointless. Yeah, the only benefit it has would be if there's a hard hit infield ball that gives you know that you could score on because of like a trouble with fielding. But that's it. I like your read on that. It's like, dude, just swing away. You have the runner at second. If you drop in a base hit anywhere, you win the game. Um so then it particularly makes sense. But yeah, crazy. Just I think it was near a 30 pitch outing for David Robertson, who, by the way, was on that 2019 or 2017 Yankees team uh, and was in the you know media leading up to the week talking about that and trying to kind of write that wrong personally. And he come came in, got it done, but it was certainly scary. I mean, towards the very end, you had the, the wild pitch um, advance those runners to third and second. Um, as you said, and then, you know, he gets it done. Eventually there's a base hit up to shortstop, I believe Segura and, uh, tosses it over, gets the out at first and, uh, Philly gets the win in game one. Yeah. So Philly has all the momentum going into game two, the next night, big pitching matchup again, Zach Wheeler, who's been unhittable pretty much this postseason with some 
all-time outings uh, versus Framber Valdez, who has historically not been very good in the World Series. Last year, he gave up, I think, 10 earned to the Braves, um, but is a really solid guy. You know, had the streak of 25, 26 straight quality starts. And he put on a show, I, I got to say, he pitched extremely well. Uh, there was some controversy about it, which we, we can touch on, but Framber Valdez pitched amazingly well. And the biggest thing here, so Astros win 5-2. They get all over Wheeler right away. Two pitches into the game, they're up 1-0 with a double from Altuve and a double from Pena. And Jose Altuve, coming into this game, had four hits in the postseason thus far and got three tonight, which is huge for Houston. They want their MVP to you know, step up. And he certainly did. And same with Jordan Alvarez, who after that great Seattle series, I think was like three for 25 through the, the uh, Yankee series. And so, you know, great to see some production from them, but yeah, this game starts off all Houston goes double from uh, Altuve, double from Pena, double from Jordan. Um, and then eventually Jordan scores on a throwing error by Edmundo Sosa. So Astros up 3-0 in the first, tack on two in the fifth from a Bregman homer. And that, that was kind of it. I mean, Philly's got a couple runs later with the Segura sack fly and got one in the ninth. They had chances. They had moments where a big hit would have done it. Um, they had the Schwarber kind of almost home run times two. Um, but, I mean, James, what are your thoughts on game two, how it impacts the series? Yeah, I think the important thing is, and as you were talking, this came to mind, Coming off that game one, that was Houston's first loss this postseason. They were undefeated up until that game, you know, and crazy, one of the crazier comebacks ever. So momentum could have gotten out of hand quickly. Uh, I think it was much needed for Houston to respond, to get a game, a win at home, to kind of show, hey, that was just one game. We got a series and to beat Zach Wheeler. Again, that is... In my opinion, I think Nola's a very, very good pitcher. Wheeler is the only elite, elite pitcher on this team, top 10 pitcher in MLB, no yeah. question. So for them to get all over him uh, and get that win is huge, you know, a huge spot to do that. And now we go to Philly with a really interesting series. Um, you know, not too much to break down, but I do like to read. This game was a little bit closer than 5-2, had some huge moments had some chances uh, and very electric game. And you saw, you know, Bregman, Altuve. Um, it, it's this incredible blend of really that core and what the Houston team has been over the decade, mixing with these young players and Jordan and Jeremy Pena having an impact. And that's what's crazy about Houston, this blend of old and new, where teams so many times struggle with that and they have to, you know, completely get away from their old culture to embrace this new, but they do this blending perfectly. And a lot of that, in my opinion, comes down to, organization and and dusty baker i mean dusty maker is incredible one of the best managers in the game uh and putting together a really good good you know approach and and everything to this series so i'm stoked i'm stoked to see these games at philly one of the most expensive get-in prices uh ever in the world series i know many tweets that it was cheaper for philly fans to fly to houston stay at a hotel go to a game and fly back than to just attend a game. Um, and you love that. I mean, this is a Phillies fan base that is a passionate diehard fan base. And I mean, they haven't even been in the postseason since 2011. So to see them, 
you know, have the success and the city just rally behind them. They broke merchandise records the second they went. It's just been absolutely incredible for Philadelphia and cannot wait to see the atmosphere there where they have a chance to win at home. And I think they're unbeaten at home in the playoffs, if I'm correct. I think so. I think so. I mean, they, they played in St. Louis for the first series, then they played at uh, Atlanta in the second series, which they won in four, I believe, and won both games at home. Then they played the Padres in one and five, winning three straight in Philly. So, yeah, they're undefeated at home. I really enjoyed the first two games. Um, thus far, you know, a couple th- more things on game two. Yeah, like they had some chances. Uh, I it was more late once Valdez got out. Right there was a there was a situation where there was an error by Pena where he kind of tossed it to Altuve when he wasn't looking and put the runners on first and third two out and brought up Bryce Harper. And you know that's a scary spot right there. And uh, Harper hits this kind of dink fly ball into right field, and Pena makes a great over the head catch and ends the inning. That was the same inning where after Bryson Stott walked, Schwarber had um, pretty much almost two home runs in one at-bat, where the first one was looked like inches from hitting the foul pole and being a home run, and then later a foot from going over the wall over t- Kyle Tucker's head. But other than that, you know, the Phillies, they had, you know, maybe an inkling of a chance there in the ninth when they got one run and Brandon Marsh on second. But other than that, not really... But yeah, I'm interested to see what happens in these three games in Philly. It's going to be super exciting. Uh, I think game three, we have Noah Syndergaard starting for the Phillies uh, versus Lance McCullers. Got to give Houston, I think, the pitching advantage in that game. McCullers pitched really well in the Seattle um, series. Six innings pitched, two hits, no runs, seven Ks, and had a pretty decent outing against the Yankees. Five innings, gave up three earned, eight hits, but six Ks. So, you know, okay. Um, Whereas, you know, Noah Syndergaard, he's kind of struggled all year. Um, We'll see if they go quickly to Brad Hand and some of the other guys they have in their bullpen. It's going to be good. I have an interesting read on the pitching matchup because on paper, I agree with you. I think Lance McCullers has been the better pitcher. I actually like uh, Thor in this position. I, I, I have a weird gut feeling that he's almost built for this pressure. And I, I feel like we get some flashbacks to his incredible 2015 postseason with the Mets. Um, again, where he was borderline unhittable, uh, to send the Dodgers out of it, went on all the way through the world series, pitched great in the world series. Mets obviously did not get it done. Um, but I think we see some flashes of brilliance. And again, this is what he's been looking for an opportunity He signed with the Angels, you know, didn't happen there. He gets traded, and it's like this would be a moment to really change. You know, he was one of the best pitchers in baseball and then had this pretty big fall off. If he can come in and deliver a vintage pitching performance and get that win, that first home game, you know, it's a lot of what I could. Like, that would be awesome. But I think he does. I think we see some vintage um, pitching up there. I hope so. Obviously, Philly's going to need it. They're going to need these guys at the bottom of their rotation to step up and uh, put together some good outings. So I'm really excited. I think this is a pretty even pitching matchup. Yeah, you know, it, you know, it's a huge moment. I don't think you can really replicate pitching in the World Series, especially with how crazy it's going to be in Philadelphia. It's going to be 
you know, a once in a lifetime outing. And looking ahead a little bit, game four, it's slated to be Christian Javier versus, I assume, Ranger Suarez, who came in in relief in game one, um, but has pitched tremendously so far this postseason and throughout the year, honestly. Game five is going to be, uh, it looks like, rematch of game one, Verlander, Nola. Game six, uh, Framber, Wheeler. Game seven, it's all hands on deck, obviously, but right now Houston has Lance McCullers slated again and maybe Thor again in the game seven. But again, it's, you know, it's the last game of the year for sure. Everybody's going to be ready to come in if needed. Yeah, and, you know, I like your point on pitching in the World Series is a different animal. We've seen that. You look at your Kershaw, your Verlanders, these incredible Hall of Fame pitchers who the pressure of the World Series just changes how they perform. Uh, so when you're talking about pitchers that aren't of that Hall of Fame caliber, I can only imagine that's even more so uh, the case. So I'm excited to see the Phillies thing. I think eventually we'll get into some predictions. But I did want to talk briefly, Max, about something that you sent me that I found extremely disturbing. Um, and that would be, I'll let you cue it up. I think you know what I'm talking about. The tweet you sent me. I do. You know, I <laughs> I was just scrolling through my Twitter feed. Um, I don't know if this is true, to be honest. Uh, you know, like looking at some of these replies, it seems to be a borderline satire account and parody. Yeah, <laughs> actually looking at this, I don't think it's real. But there was a tweet saying uh, Aaron Judge was in the building for game two as a guest of Astros owner Jim Crane, uh, tweeted by New York Porch Sports, which looking now is a satire and parody of New York media run by some Yankees guy. Uh, I So I, I don't think there's truth to it, but it is funny um, that Aaron Judge continues to stay in the news cycle, which he's going to be the biggest part of um, this offseason for sure. But it, it was funny to see him in the building. Yeah, I'm I'm looking that up, and I think that's got to be uh, fake because I'm not seeing any real reports. Because I was like, if that's true, that is absolutely insane that you could get just demoralized by the Astros and seven days later show up uh, as a guest, potentially talking to free agent. But regardless, I kind of wanted to take that conversation and talk about some reports we've seen come out. Um, of the Yankees camps, uh, multiple players have talked to their agents uh, and they said that it was extremely brutal this postseason uh, being a Yankee and playing in front of their own fans. Uh, you know, the reports came out and said multiple players indicated that, that they could not believe or fathom that Aaron Judge was getting booed. You know, this is obviously off the bat of one of the most incredible MLB seasons, one where he became comes AL home run leader. He's almost won a triple crown, definitely going to be the AL MVP um, and made the Yankees a great team for most of the regular season. So for him to get booed, um, you know, and clearly other players are taking notice. I think, I think it's going to have some real implications. Again, you saw like Joey Gallo got pretty much out of New York career shot down you know, and at a certain point, it is true. Like, yes, that's New York sports. You know, when you win there, it's the best feeling on earth. You are a hero like no one else. But when you're not good, it's, you know, 
abnormally brutal. And I think it's going to impact their free agent markets. I mean, if you're Aaron Judge, Max, and you just put together one of the best MLB seasons ever in that whole your time as a Yankee or under contract ends with you getting booed out of the arena, essentially, why would you come back when you have, you know, 29 other fan bases and teams that are like, yeah, it would be awesome to have Aaron Judge, and I'm not sure anyone else would boo and Sherlock for AL MVP or league MVP on their team. I mean, it was just, that's New York, but but I think it's going to be an, what do you think? How does that impact free agency? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I don't know if we have any, like, New York fans that listen to this, but, like, I think they're they're just too full of themselves. Like, there's a reason that New York sports, for the most part, are completely mediocre. Um, you know, Yankees, it, it's a big part of it, sure. Um, they're kind of like the figurehead of these terrible fans. But, look, the, the Yankees haven't been good in a long time. They love to float this 27 World Series thing. Like, they won... 10 in the 30s they haven't won one since 2009 and before that it was 2000 so that's nearly 25 years of mediocre play sure they're making the postseason but when you have fans that treat you like that you don't want to play there and i i don't get what they don't realize about that and i think if you look across like look at the nba the knicks the knicks don't get any free agents nobody goes there because they're like the draw of playing at MSG isn't big enough. The fans suck. Nobody wants to play there. Um, and even looking at, say, like the Jets and Giants, and I can't speak about their fan bases really, but the Jets haven't been good in, since, like, they were barely good when they had Mark Sanchez. And the Giants stole the one World Series, or excuse me, Super Bowl in 2007. But other than that, they haven't been very good. Uh, so and- I, I think the New York fan base is just toxic and it's playing a factor in how good these teams are because players at this day and age with the amount of player mobility there are and players making decisions on where they want to be. Nobody wants to go there when they're going to be treated like shit when they don't play well. I mean, you look at Aaron judge hit 62 home runs this year and he's getting booed. So it just shows there's really nothing you can do to escape the, the treatment there. If you're not playing well in New York, you know, fans love to say, you know, like, yeah, it's a tough environment. You know, you got to step up to the plate when you're playing in the big city. But that's just not a good way to promote a healthy work environment and a team that's set up to win championships. And you can't really argue that. The Yankees have, haven't been in a World Series since 2009. Um, and they barely sniffed it. You know, they had a couple ALCS trips. But other than that, they haven't had a really good team. Yeah, it, it- I like your read on that, and it is an entire market problem because it's just as a free agent, why would you go? Yes, it's a huge, crazy market, but it's like even you go to Los Angeles or Chicago, much, you know, you get a big market, same big market feel, but they're not like ruthless. They understand, like, like in New York, they just judge you almost on your last at bat, and that's all that matters. You MVP season, you strike out on the play, playoffs whatever you're back to square one and I'm like if if you're Aaron Judge and I think it's very clear after this season this Yankees team needs Aaron Judge if they don't have Aaron Judge I don't think they make the postseason this year so it's like if you're in that position and you know he's played so well that you have the Giants coming out saying we will bid more than any major league baseball team so you already know you're going to get outbid cash wise now it's like well they'll pay me more and their fans aren't going to boo me Every time I strike out, 
just madness. You know, I don't think we need to keep belaboring the point, but weird from New York. I'm glad he didn't go to Houston though for the optics, but I wouldn't be surprised. I think that would have been the most telling of New York sports though. If he would rather entertain moving to the team that knocked him out a week later than stay in front of those fans. Um, so wanted to make that point, Max, but I think, you know, let, let's shift into talking about the predictions now. You know, I had picked Philly in five. I'm staying by that. I'm happy with that, and it's lined up exactly as I wanted. You split the series, went at home, as they've done. My prediction comes through. I think you had Phillies in seven. I was trying to think six or seven. Yeah, I, I, I can't remember exactly what I said, but I still like it. You know, I, I, I find it unlikely they sweep in Philly these three games. It's possible, sure. I, I find most likely the Phillies win two out of one, barely more likely than Astros win two out of three. Excuse me. Um, but, I, you know, I still like it. You know, if if Phillies win two out of three, come back to Houston, win one, series over. Uh, so so you're, stay, you're staying pat. You like your prediction still. I think, you know, and it's hard because home field advantage in baseball, it does matter more than any other sport. But it's still like, like at the end of the day, it comes down to your play on the field, not the external. But that crowd is going to be something to likes i don't know if we've really seen in baseball in a while i mean that yep. place is going to be so juiced up everyone in that building is about three thousand dollars in it's going to be just a crazy place you know the energy of the city the team and it, they know if you end it here no more road trips no more flights like you're done yep. you know i think it's possible i do like your read look i think it's hard to pick houston to lose three games in a row this is a team that just right. had their first loss in the postseason. To lose three in the, a row is a lot. But that home field advantage and, like, Bryce Harper could go nuts again. If he gets a home run per game in the right spots, like, he can end this series. So I think anything still could happen. But I like where it's lining up for Philly. And I like this series, you know. It's been super exciting. Excited to see this keep going. And I'm just glad that we got really good competitive baseball. Yeah, and I, I, it would be nice to see the Phillies win it in Philadelphia, too. I think that would be pretty awesome for the city. Um, I mean, I'm certainly rooting for it. Look, I'm rooting for the Phillies in this series. There's no secret. I think either both of us are. Um, <clears throat> but we'll see what happens. It's been super competitive so far, and I love that there's, it could still go so many different ways. It's still so up in the air. So I'm excited for these next three days. Yeah, and for Philly, the big thing on this homestand to me – they need to win two. If you can get within, because it's all get within one win, because at that point with how the parity and how the postseason goes and it all comes down to one swing, like get within one game and get Bryce Harper in a spot to make history. That's it. Like same with what JT Realmuto did. You know, even if you're in Houston, just get within one game so you can have one swing or one play win the series. So if Philly can leave their home field, and have Houston on the ropes like that, I like that position for them. Um, if they don't get three, but they can pit them on the ropes. So we're going to see. Obviously, Houston knows that. That's the other thing. Houston is great. They know that. And look, they're they're playing to win, too. As much as they'd like to win in front of their fans, they'd much rather get it done in three, not play around with it, and uh, 
not give Philly any life at all here. So it's going to be huge. I think this this game three is going to be pivotal to see, you know, how this series is going to go, and then yep. uh, and we'll see. But I'm I am stoked, and I really think it could go either way. It definitely could, definitely could. Well, exciting first two games. I'm excited to see what happens from here, and we'll we'll stay on the coverage as always. Yeah, and I think we'll come in next time after the home stand um, at that next travel day, and and we'll see at that point if it is a conclusion of the World Series or one more update uh, before heading into the home stretch in Houston. Uh, so more to be seen, but make sure you're following the show um, so you can see that recap. There we go. World Series game one and two completed. We're halfway through. It'll be exciting to see what happens. That is episode 68 of Rounding Third, the baseball podcast. Thank you all for listening. Uh, Super excited to be here. And very shortly, we will crown a World Series champion for this incredible 2022 Major League Baseball season. Thanks, everyone.